Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. It's good to see all of you this morning. Turn in your Bible to two passages this morning. If you have your Bible, that's great. If not, I'll do my best to help you. I want you to turn uh, to a couple of verses that I think, and a couple of passages that I think will be a great benefit to us this morning. Number one, you can turn to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15, and if I can find my notes this morning, I'll preach the gospel to you today. If not, we'll just, we'll just uh, uh, fake it till we make it. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word extended into our lives. And we thank you that the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword in our life. And Lord, we thank you that as we share your word, it will make a huge difference in our life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. The second passage is 2 Timothy. So if you want to get a head start, turn to 2 Timothy and 2 Corinthians 15. That's it. Uh, And we're going to conclude a series today called The Jesus Journey. Everyone say The Jesus Journey. Now, for you that are here for the first time, you say, well, it's the last of a series. Well, really, this is going to be a great beginning because every time you finish something, it starts something new, right? And so I believe that's going to be the case with all of us today. We've been learning how to follow Jesus 24-7. How many of you know following Jesus is not a part-time business? It's a lifestyle, amen, where we follow him 24-7 and allow him to lead us. I said early on that a lot of people, when they get born again, they want Jesus to follow them. They want Jesus to bless them. They want Jesus to bail them out of all their stuff. How many of you know he can bail you out, amen? In fact, 2,000 years ago, he bailed us all out on Calvary's cross. We ought to give him a great big praise and a clap offering right now for what he did on the cross. He bailed us out, man, I'm telling you. But he wants us to follow him. And over the last four weeks, we looked in Matthew at a number of different passages where Jesus would approach people such as Matthew, the tax collector, who was by some standards probably at least a millionaire in his days, very wealthy man. And he, Jesus walked up into his life and became a what? A nosy pepper. How many of you know what a nosy pepper is? And let me just say it this way. How many of you don't know what a nosy pepper is? Just a few. Okay, I'll help you out. That's somebody that gets jalapeno business. And Jesus walked into his life, and he just said two words. And what were they? Follow me. And the Bible says Matthew left everything and began to follow Jesus. And then, of course, Simon and his, and his brother Andrew and James and John, they're fishing, washing their nets, fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus, get, he became a nosy pepper. He got jalapeno business, and and uh, he began to minister, and you know the story, and just miracles happened of provision with the fish, and and Peter realized he's in the presence of Jesus Christ, and Jesus said to him and and to those uh, others there, he said, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. Follow me, and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. I'll transform your life. And so we've been looking at that and been learning what does it take for us as believers to follow Jesus 24-7. This morning, I want to conclude with this thought. I want you to think about the times we're living in, and I want to tell you that if you're going to follow Jesus 24-7, it's going to require us all to have a what? Say it together, an understanding of the times. 
As we look at the world around us, we need to have an insight about what's going on. How many of you know there's something going on? You look around the world, you realize that something's going on. What, is, what in the world is going on? I want to help explain that a little bit because as followers of Jesus, we need to know what's, what's going on. We need to be kind of like the children of Issachar. Everyone say Issachar. In, in 1 Chronicles 12, there was a little phrase about this, this uh, tribe of people, the children and the sons and daughters of Issachar. It says this about them, that they had an understanding of the times to know what Israel should do. I believe all of us in these days we live in need an understanding of the times to know what's going on in the world and be able to be sensitive to the will and the wisdom of God in our life. And and so how many of you want, want some of that? I, I need to know what's going on. I need to see. I need to see and begin to understand the signs of the times. And I need to be, in a sense, a son or a daughter of Issachar who has an insight about what's going on. Hey, disciples of Christ, people who follow Jesus 24-7, they have an insight about what's going on. In fact, I love what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, uh, he was preaching really for the first time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the church was birthed. The church's birthday is what we call Pentecost Sunday. And on Pentecost Sunday, Peter gets up and begins to preach the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all the flesh, and people are receiving and responding. And Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. He begins to preach the gospel. Somebody say the gospel. And he says this. He says, you know, what you see today, this supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is what Joel talked about in Joel when he wrote down in the last days. Everyone say in the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And he basically said, this is that. Everybody say, this is that. So we understand that the church's birthday was the beginning of what the scripture calls the last days. Everybody said the last day. We're living in the last days. You say, oh, they've been saying that, you know, since, G you know, they've been saying it's the last days. But understand, it's a season of time. It's an understanding of the times we live in. It's the time for the church and for God's people to accomplish our kingdom purpose. It's called the last days. In fact, John in 1 John chapter 2, he called it the last hour. How many of you would rather be in the last days than the last hour, okay? So you, you've got to understand that uh, these are the times we live in, and we're living in the last days. Look at your neighbor and say, we're living in the last days. We really are. In fact, I love, in fact, let me just say this. Next Sunday, I'm going to begin a series from First and Second Timothy called Last Days Leadership, or learning to lead and be an influence in the world in these last days. Everybody say the last days. And so, uh, we're living there, and when you look at these these two letters, First and Second Timothy, you understand that Paul, in his day, 
understood that he then, and we as well today, if he was living in the last days and he was concerned about how we live life in the last days, in fact, what he was endeavoring to do in these two letters was pass the baton of leadership off to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he was giving him principles and insights about the last days. And just two things I want to show you just so you can kind of catch this insight about where we are. Uh, number one, we understood from his writings in 2 Timothy 3.1, it's times of peril. How many of you know we're today living in times of peril? 2 Timothy 3.1, he says, in the last days, it will be perilous times. And so today, as we look at the newspaper, as we look at the world news around us, it's perilous times. If, if you don't realize that, you've, you may have had, you've been down at the beach with your head stuck in the sand for the last two or three years, but we're living in perilous times. And we need to understand that. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to un have an understanding of the times and know that the days before us are perilous. The days behind us have been perilous, but the days before us, I just have to tell you today, will in some ways be more perilous and more traumatizing, more troubling than ever before. And so it's important for us to be sons and daughters of Issachar and understand the days we live in and, and realize we're living in the last days and we're living in the, in the midst of a generation that very possibly could see the return of Jesus Christ to planet Earth. It's times of peril. We're living in those. We're witnessing those. It's important for us to understand the times we live in. But when you look also in what Paul tells his son in the faith, you need to understand there's another aspect in these times of peril. It's also a time of great uh, potential and a great proclamation opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he said, and, and he said, after you understand it's perilous times, chapter 4, verse 1, he said, preach the word. Somebody say, preach the word. What is the word? It, well, it's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the cool part. How many of you want to know the cool part? The great part in the middle of the perilous times is the reality that God has a plan. How many of you know God's not uh, uh, shook up by the times of peril? He's not undone. In fact, he, there's, a, there's a great global God plan in place for some good news to be made manifest in the middle of all the bad news. How many of you heard some bad news? Oh, every time I, every time I flip up my internet and I start checking my email, I go through the news and I just don't see a lot of good news. I see mostly bad news. In fact, I see people attacking those who are trying to proclaim the good news. And, and I see uh, negative influences against the church and against the foundations of God's word. And, uh, but here's the reality in the middle of all that bad news. Guess what? God's global game plan for this earth is this, that he has some good news that will ultimately counteract any bad news you've ever heard. Somebody say amen. It's times of proclamation. It's time to, it's a time, these last days that we live in, it's time to preach the word. He told his son in the faith, Timothy, he said, hey, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come. Listen, he's telling his son in the faith that the times that we live in, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have 
itching ears, they will heap upon themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. There's those perilous times. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. You see today as we sit here in the comfort of this sanctuary, there's spiritual influences in the world trying to undermine the truth of God's Word in our life, trying to undermine the foundation of faith that you and I potentially have been, have been raised up in. And so the opportunity is, is great before us. Yes, there's times of peril, but guess what? The power of the gospel has the power to transform and change lives. I know personally that God's Word is real and it'll change our life. I got some good news this morning. Tell three or four people, man, we're about to hear some good news. Tell somebody, we're about to hear some good news. It's, it's good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, did you know, you've heard the, the word gospel. Did you know the word gospel actually means, it means good news. Hey, let me show you this gospel that we preach, this message that Paul the apostle was so adamant that, that, that Timothy would continue to preach even in Paul's absence because Paul understood his time was near. His days were about over. He said, I've already been, uh, I'm poured out as a drink offering. I'm about to go to heaven and I need somebody to step up to the plate and begin to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something today. God's looking for somebody to step up to the plate in the middle of this perilous times that we live in and begin to proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus. Christ because it's the only good news that will counteract all the perilous bad news that you and I are in the middle of in these days we live in. 2 Corinthians chapter 15, if you go there, I want to show you the power of the good news this morning and began to reveal to you the wonderful revelation of Jesus Christ in our life. I said 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 15. They ask Paul, in fact, Paul just boldly declares to them the gospel. He says in verse 1, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Listen, that's what we need. Tell somebody that's what we need today. That's what Paul told Timothy to do. He said, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received. Somebody say received. And in which you stand. You see, we need people to receive it and then take their stand in it. He said, that's what you did. By which also you are saved. You see, this gospel will save you from the peril, not only of these days, but the peril of eternity without Christ. How many of you know there is a heaven? Tell somebody, heaven is for real, man. Heaven is for real, but the reality of heaven certainly validates the reality of hell. And let me just say, hell was not created for you. How many of you don't want to go to hell? Thank you, Jesus. How many of you want to go to heaven? Amen. And so he begins, he says, hey, this gospel that I preached, that you received, and what you stand in, and, and, and what has caused you to be saved, if, he says, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, here it is. Everybody say, here it is. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also, what? Received. You see, he didn't, you can't deliver something you hadn't received. Have you ever tried to deliver a package you hadn't received yet? He said, I got it and now I delivered it to you. And here it is that Christ died for our sins. Everyone say, according to the scriptures. He's starting to share the gospel. 
This is the beginning of this good news that will counteract every bit of bad news you've ever heard. That will, hey, listen what this good news will do. This good news will, will pull you out of the, the, the pits of despair and out of the condemnation of your sin and transform your life and, and cause you to be a new, a, a new creation in Christ Jesus and put you on the roadway and the pathway to eternity with Christ. This is the beginning. He, he said, let me tell you this gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Listen, understand something. Humanity has a sin problem. Can, it's pretty blatant, right? Do I have to convince anybody we got a sin problem in the world? We got a morality problem. We got a heart problem. Sin has, has invaded our world and, and, and the Bible says that we're, our sins have done what? It separated us from God. You see, in the beginning with Adam and Eve, they walked together in the cool of the day, but sin entered the picture, and they were separated from God. And from that day until now, the Bible says all of humanity is born in sin, and in sin did, did are we created. We're, we were, we're born separated from God, and that's why Jesus came, and that's why he died for our sins on the cross. To pay for the sins of all humanity. I love what Romans 3 said. Oh, if you could turn there, that'd be awesome. Romans 3 says this, verse 23. For all have sinned. Everyone say, that means me. For all have sinned, and what have they done? They fall short of the glory of God. See, we're all sinners. Humanity has a sin problem. And the Bible says the good news in the middle of this terrible sin problem in the earth, listen, it's the fact that Jesus came and, and, and paid a price for us because we are separated. Look what it says in verse 24, being justified. Now, you got to follow this. I'm telling you, I'm getting excited about the good news, and I've been knowing the good news for, for a whole long time, 50-plus years. I've been knowing the good news, and when I began to read about the good news, I said, whew. Thank you, Jesus, for the good news. Listen to what he said. We're all separated from God, and we're all fallen short because of our sin, but being justified freely. Somebody say justified. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, if you only had two verses in the Bible that you could latch on to, if all you had was two verses, that right there will get you into heaven if you begin to understand it. That right there is some good news. He says you've been justified. Now, I love this word. Everybody say justified. And, and just to keep it simple for you, it's, it's, if you can say it, when you're justified, it is just as if I'd never sinned. Everybody say, just as if I'd never sinned. Now, that's what I call getting back to being right with God. Jesus came along and redeemed us and paid the price because our sins have separated us. He says, we're, but here's the good news. The bad news is we're all sinners. We're all, we've all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, he redeemed us with his own blood. He paid the price for us is what the Bible says. You've been redeemed. Everybody say, I've been redeemed. 
You see, if you're a Christian, if you've asked Christ into your heart, if you've accepted this glorious good news, you've been redeemed because of the, the cross of Christ and because of the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. It says you're justified freely. In other words, without cost. The only cost that, 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 that has been paid for your, uh, 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 good news to be born again is not what you pay. How many of you know you can't earn your way into heaven? You can't buy your way into heaven. We're all helplessly lost and without Christ. And that's why we needed a Savior. And our sins separated us. And Jesus came and shed his blood and paid the price for you. That's good news. Hey, touch somebody and say, whoo, glory, that's good news. Tell somebody, whoo, that's good news. He paid the price. On Calvary's cross. You see, Jesus' blood was the payment that redeemed us. In fact, Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, you've not been redeemed with basically money and things and stuff. Uh, Jesus didn't show up with coins and gold and silver uh, to pay you and, and break you out of jail and to redeem you and take the place for you. He did it with the precious blood of the Lamb. With his own blood. In fact, did you know the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Remember what they did in the Old Testament before Jesus came. What were they always doing? Shedding of blood for the, for the temporary payment of the sins of the people. That, that, because it was kind of a just a, a stopgap moment until Jesus could come and once for all pay for all of humanity with the shedding of his blood. That's good news. You see, Jesus died for those past, but he died for you today, and he died for our children and our grandchildren and our children's children to the second and third generation. That's the power in the blood. Everybody say, that's powerful. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. According to the Scripture, you see, as I said, we're all separated. I love what Isaiah, and it says according to the Scripture. Somebody say according to the Scripture. Now you gotta understand, when they read, when they wrote this, they're really, when they say the scripture, they're talking about the Old Testament. Did you know the Old Testament is chock full of gospel good news? In fact, the prophetic insight. Here's one. Uh, in, in fact, uh, Isaiah 53. What does it say? I'll give you my best shot without reading it. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And every one of us have turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, did you hear that? This is the Old Testament. Jesus has not been born. This was written uh, uh, years and years before Jesus ever came to planet earth and was born of a babe and lived a sinless life and died on the cross. The prophet Isaiah comes along and he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. But what happened? The Lord laid on him. God the Father laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. In other words, he, he took all of our sins on himself. Whew, that's good news. Titus 2 says, we look for that blessed hope because of what he did for us and redeemed us with his blood. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. But that's not where it ends, my friend. The second part, if you went back to second, part, uh, second Corinthians chapter 15, you'd get the, the second part of this glorious gospel that has, that is the good news for the days before us. Not only did Christ die for our sins according to the scripture, but the Bible says this, that he was buried. 
and that he rose again the third day. Somebody say the third day. In fact, that's a prophetic fulfillment of Scripture from the Old Testament. He rose again the third day, again, according to the Scriptures. Everybody say, according to the Scriptures. He rose again. Now, think about the resurrection. The resurrection is what separates Jesus from every other religious leader, past, present, or future. Jesus rose from the dead. Now, he said, well, maybe so, maybe not. Well, did you know, even after Jesus rose from the dead, even in that day, they began to figure out a way to try to undermine the reality that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And this is the secondary part that is so powerful because without the resurrection, there's no completion of God's global game plan to save the world from their sin. The resurrection sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader. Now, I don't know about you. I've never followed Buddha, but I know something about Buddha. Buddha's still in the grave. How many of you know Muhammad is still in the grave? The only person that I know who ever came forth from the grave after three days was Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he came out of the grave victorious over sin, Satan, self, and every other demonic thing that you could stack up against him. He came out victorious and rose again from the dead so we could experience this new life. Now, what has happened? In fact, the Bible says because of the sin problem, what does sin do? The wages of sin is what? Death. And because of sin, let me tell you something, every every person, every child, uh, by the way, where's Mabry? Is she in the house? My fifth grandchild, did she have to go out? Was Mabry cutting up already on her first Sunday? She's cutting up. And you know what, little Mabry, as sweet as she is, you know what? She's a natural-born sinner. She's just, she, and let me tell you something, I promise you, I've watched my other grandkids grow up there. We love them, we help them, we pray for them, we, we believe in them. But you know what? They got sin nature in their little bones. And so mom and dad and grandparents, we're working on that sin nature because we're all, hey, we're all natural-born sinners and we, we can't help it. But Jesus rose from the dead so we didn't have to live under the condemnation of that sin problem. Amen. He rose from the dead. He said, he said he was buried, verse 4, and he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. You need to understand uh, the Old Testament Scripture. Did you know the Old Testament prophesies the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And you study it out, you'll realize Jesus rose from the dead. They prophesied it, and then it began to happen, and they began to witness it. In fact, Psalm 16, I won't read it. Uh, uh, Peter, when preaching on Pentecost, he preaches the gospel, and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ, and oh, by the way, he rose from the dead. And then he quotes Psalm 16 that basically validates a prophetic insight that he he, he came forth, that he was going to come forth and rise from the dead. See, the Old Testament validates this good news that we're experiencing today. And then if you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, you'll find that Paul said there was a lot of eyewitnesses. See, the the New Testament validates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said there were eyewitnesses. Verse 5, he said, and and he was seen after he rose from the dead. He was seen by Cephas and then by the 12. That's Peter. And, and And that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present. In other words, there's some eyewitnesses. 
And then he says in verse 7, he said, after that he was seen by James. That's his, his I guess you'd call him his half-brother. Uh, and then it says, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He said, man, let me tell you something. There's eyewitnesses to the resurrection and the reality of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to preach and he says, you know, people have been saying he's not risen from the dead. But if you look in verse 17. He said, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. In other words, it didn't, hey, just because he died for your sins, that's just the first part. What's going to make it valid and real is the reality that he rose from the dead. He said, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if Christ hadn't risen from the dead. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're among all men most pitiable or miserable. But verse 20, how many of you ready for the good news? He said, verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Amen. Now, my friend, understand something. That's the gospel. Jesus died for our sin. You can't fix the sin problem. Look at your neighbor. You can't fix the sin problem. How many of you knew you can corral it for a little while? That's what the Old Testament was about, kind of corralling God's people until Jesus could come. It's not, in fact, the scripture basically says the Old Testament law was kind of a babysitter to kind of keep us and hold us in check as best we could until Jesus could come and really take care of this sin issue once and for all. Somebody say hallelujah. Now that's the good news in the middle of all this perilous times and there's bad news that the world is facing and that we'll face it's good news jesus christ rose from the dead just as he said in fact i love romans i don't have time to go to romans you can read romans 6 i say it a lot when people are baptized it says this we're buried with him through baptism unto death and done what raised to walk in newness of life you see, the gospel will give you, and in fact, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He's a new creation. Everybody say hallelujah. And that's what it takes to enter into eternity. Now think about this for a moment. I want you to follow me. We've got to embrace it. If you want, if you want confidence about who you are and where you, where you are in these perilous times to know that in the middle of these perilous times, you have a confidence to know that you're on your way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. You've got to embrace this gospel message in your life. You see, back when I was a kid, and that's been a long time. I'm 59. Somebody, oh, and we have our dear friends here, the Malones. Uh, in fact, y'all wait, we worked them hard yesterday. They came and surprised me for friend day yesterday. We've known them for, gosh, 30 years, 20, 30 years. And in fact, I didn't mean to say that. I'll tell you this quick testimony. Back 22 years ago, we were in church one Sunday, and Matt and V could not conceive a baby. They had spent money trying to figure out what was wrong. And one day I didn't even, I had forgotten all about it. I had a word from the Lord and something jumped on the inside of me and said, somebody here is trying to get pregnant and you can't get pregnant. And I'm feeling faith in my heart. For who's here in the house who's, who's having trouble with that? And nobody lifted their hand. And I'm going, oh, you're looking stupid now. Oh, you just popped off. The Lord spoke to you. Nobody raised their hand. And somebody said, V's in the nursery. It's V. And I said, I can't do this without crying. I said, somebody go get V. V, by 
by the time she got into the sanctuary, tears were exploding out of her eyes. It's like they're coming out of mine right now. And I put my hand on her and I said, I'm telling you under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, you will conceive a child. You will have a baby. In fact, I told the ladies, I said, you somebody throw her a shower. She's going to have a baby. Woo. Her baby is in college now. great people. And that, hey, they, I don't know how I got off on that. I'll try to figure out how to get back to the gospel. But there are long-time tenured friends who, who have stood with us uh, uh, through it all. Everybody say through it all. You see, when I was a little boy in a Baptist church in Red Oak, Texas, I heard this gospel. It pierced my heart. Just like it pierced the heart of disciple of the people there uh, when Peter preached, it says they were they were smitten, they were stricken by the they were pierced by the power of the gospel. And I I, I I heard the gospel and I believed the gospel. And in that day, when you're in a Baptist church, bless God, you walk the aisle. They play just as I am, and you walk the aisle. I might get somebody to walk the aisle here this morning, just like I did when I was a little boy. I walked the aisle, and for the first time in my little life, I knew that I was on my way to heaven from Little Red Oak, Texas. I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. I believed the gospel, and I began to embrace the gospel in my life. It didn't make me perfect. You can ask my family. I'm seeing you ask my wife. She knows I'm not perfect. But as I grew up in high school, as a junior in high school, I began to realize that, that I need to really make a real, genuine follow Jesus. That's what we're talking about, learning to follow Jesus 24-7. And I made a real decision that I'm not going to stumble around here in my life trying to get Jesus to follow me and fix all my messes and bless my life without me following him 24-7. And I made a commitment that I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. I'm saying nope to dope and everything else that was keeping me away from Jesus and away from his will for my life. He took me. He began to change my life. He filled me with the Holy Spirit and put me on a journey to follow him 24 I graduated high school. Began to evangelize my friends and people that I used to hang out with. Oh, Ricky Brown. I don't even know where Ricky's at today. Ricky was a rascal. Any of y'all have any friends here they were Ricky the Rascal? I, I can tell you some stories about Ricky the Rascal that just <laughs> scary. Ricky the Rascal, he looked at me and said, oh, Sam, you'll be back down here with us in a few weeks smoking now. You know what? I didn't know if I believed him or not. But I stood up. I said, no, I don't think so, Ricky. I think this is for real in my life. You know what? That backfired on him. You know, a number of years later, I was looking around, found out, I don't know, I got a hold of it, it's for Facebook, but I found out he was a deacon in the Baptist church. <laughs> oh, we didn't have a pastor. We didn't have Jesus. 
and it changed his life. And we've got to embrace this gospel. And you know what? As I graduated high school, I heard about a trip going up the, to the Holy Land. And I said, I want to go. And I went with my friend, Pastor Sonny Canadzer. And in the first night that I was there, and as I laid me down to sleep in the heart of Israel, the Spirit of God came upon me. That same Spirit that quickened me of my sin began to speak to me. And I began to realize that there was a call of God on my life. And I heard this phrase from the Lord. He said this in my heart. He said, Sam, I'm calling you to preach my word to many nations. And there in the heart of Israel, I gave him my life again. And I said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And you know what? I'm, I'm a 59-year-old grandpa of five. And today I stand before you preaching this glorious gospel that has transformed my life and has transformed my family and is transforming my grandkids. I'm telling you, it's the power of the gospel that will change lives. That's good news. It's what Jesus called being born again. Everybody say born again. I've been born again. I got born again in Red Oak Baptist Church. I can take you and nearly get you to the pew. I'm probably not pews there now. I could get you close within a five foot GPS square of where I gave him myself. He said, well, what about me? Let me give you some simple thoughts today. If you've never been born again, there's, you know, there's two kinds of people in this room today. Those that have been born again, those that need to be born again. You see, that's the reality. That's why Jesus came. He said, well, what about me? And, and, and well, I can throw in a third group. I'll throw in a third group. I'll have a little more grace. There's people that have been born again, have some kind of uh, relationship with Jesus Christ, but you've never really made the turn and never really begin to follow him in your life. You're still trying to get him to follow you. He's not going to follow you. Look at your name, whisper in their ear. Just, you, you don't know who you're talking to. Maybe you may not. Look. He, he's not going to follow you. You're going to follow him. Tell him. He, he's not, he's not going to follow you. You've got to follow him. Let me give you to it this way. What does it take to be born again? Let me just say it in two simple phrases. The first one is this. Receive and trust. Everyone say receive and trust. You see, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 1, he said this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received. Everyone say receive. In fact, John said this in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, verse 12. He said, to as many as received him, he gave the right or the authority to become children of God. That word receives means to get a hold of something. Let me tell you something. You've got to get a hold of something here today. Here's what you've got to get a hold of. The only way you're going to get to heaven, the only way you're going to make it through this perilous time is by getting a hold of the reality that Jesus died for your sins and he was buried in a bar of tomb and three days later he rose again, just like the scripture said. And he said, you received it. You got a hold of it. Now, how do you receive it? Here it is. It's simple. It's by trusting, by believing. I believe it. Everybody said, I believe it. You got to believe it. In fact, the scripture says it's allotted to everybody. measure of faith. Everybody has the capacity to believe. He said, you've got to believe it. In fact, have you heard, heard of John 3.16? Anybody heard of John? For God so, he loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, everybody say whosoever. That means me and you. That whosoever, be, uh -oh, whosoever believes upon him. 
would not do what? But have everlasting life. Now, that word believe, it's bigger than just, oh, I believe that. It means to trust in. Now, follow me. To rely upon. And here it is, like the receiver, to cling to. Everyone say, trust in. Rely upon. And cling to. That's what it means. Hey, if you want to be born again, you've got to believe this message that I'm telling you. In fact, what did he tell the ones in Corinth? He said this in verse 11. Therefore, whether it is I or they, speaking of who actually preached it, so we preached and so you believed. In fact, you know what the Bible says in Romans 10? It says this. Faith comes by Hearing the word of God today. You've been hearing the word of God. And you know, you know, you know what all you got to do is, is tap into the gift of faith and say, I'm going to believe that. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to rely upon him. I'm going to cling to this. I'm going to get a hold of this in my life. Everyone say receive and trust. And then the second part, we can throw in this. It says, uh, 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 the second part is repent and turn. Everyone say repent and turn. Now, let me go back to that preaching session I told you about Pentecost when the church was born. Peter gets up under the power of the Holy Spirit. He starts preaching the gospel. And it pierces their heart. I pray today somebody's been pierced by the gospel. Like it pierced my heart when I was a little boy at the Red Oak Baptist Church. And like it pierced thousands of people's lives. And Peter preached there in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. They said when they heard the gospel, it says they were pierced. And they said, well, then tell us what to do. And you know what he said? Repent. He said, repent. Somebody say, repent. Now, let me tell you about what repent means. Repent doesn't mean just be sorry for your sin. Now, it's good to be sorry for your sin. Unless you're sorry for your sin, I have a problem with that. I think God does too. But that repentance is much more than just being sorry. The repentance is much more than weeping and crying over how bad you've been. That's all great and good. But let me tell you something. Repentance really means to turn from the way you're going into another direction. To turn from your will and your way and begin to turn and follow Him. That's what it means to repent. Jesus told us, told a story, the Gospel of Luke. It's about what we call the prodigal son. The prodigal son, you know the story. Many of you may know the story. The father had two sons. One of them just got sick and tired of hanging around the house under daddy's thumb. He said, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go live. His father gave him his inheritance. He went off and he spent it all. Wasted it all on what the Bible calls prodigal living. He found himself the son of a very wealthy man off on his own eating and eating the husks from the pig pen of life. How many of you know for a Jewish boy to be hanging around the pig pen was the lowest of the Now catch this. As he's sitting there Wallowing with the pity. That's the way some of you may feel today. You went your way and it got you nowhere. In fact, it got you wallowing around with the pigs. The Bible says he came to himself. 
So what am I doing here? The servants in my daddy's house are eating better than this. I'm sitting here in the picnic. And he came to himself. He said, I'm going to get up and go back. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn and return. So he got up and he went back home. And you know what he found? He found his father sitting on the porch. for his son to return. And as his father saw his son walking down the road, he ran, grabbed him, and his son said, Father, forgive me. Made some bad choices. I'll just be your servant. I'll just do, be a servant. No, you're my son. Put his robe on him and a ring on his finger, and he said, Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a celebration. For my son, who was lost, has now been found. Today, as we close out our time together, as we close out this series on following Jesus 24 7, it's a great starting place for all of us. We're back to the beginning. Where do we begin? Where do we start today? Right where the first century church started. What do we do? Well, you need to repent. You need to trust and rely. Let's stand together today. And as our worship team comes, we just want to give God an opportunity to be able to reach into our hearts and lives and be able to make a difference in all of our lives this morning. And if you're here today, I don't know what I don't know what's going on in your world. You may be here today and you may be doing your dead level best to follow Jesus 24-7. That's great. You may be here today. You know Jesus lives in your heart, but he's grieved because you've been endeavoring to get him to follow you and to bless you wherever you go. But you may be here today. You've never given your life to Christ. You have an opportunity to hear this precious gospel. In fact, let's bow our heads today as every head is bowed. And as my pastor told me when I was a little teenage, pardon me, a little child, there in the Red Oak Baptist Church, he said, with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, this is your opportunity to be able to be, as Jesus said, born again. And allow the gospel to make a difference in your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you can say, Pastor, I've given my life to Christ. I know I belong to Him. I'm just like you. I bowed my head one day and asked Christ to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. I believe the gospel that He, that he was crucified and paid for my sin. And I accepted the reality that He rose again so I could have new life. If you're here today and you know that you know that you know Jesus Christ lives on the inside and you're on your way to heaven, I want you to lift your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I belong to Jesus today. You can put it down. But if you're here today and you can say, Pastor, sadly, I don't know. I'm just not sure. In fact, if the truth would be known, I just don't really know that I've ever really made a real commitment to Christ. This is your opportunity right now to believe the gospel. To receive him and trust him. To get a hold of it and say, I believe you died for me and paid for my sin. And you rose again the third day. And I'm turning him 
giving my way to your way and your covenants and your leadership and your lordship in my life with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you can say, Pastor, that's me today. I want to be what Jesus and you say, born again. I want to give him my life. I want to ask him to come into my heart. I want to trust him for my future. If that's you today, wherever you are, lift your hand and wave it at me. Say, that's me, Pastor. I see that hand. Who else? Wave it at me. I just want to know that I know that I know. Who else here today can say, God bless you. I want to be born again. Give my life to Christ. You can put your hands back down. Now, finally, if you're here today and you know you're a Christian, you know you've given your life to Christ, but you have some choices to make, just like I did there in high school, to make a commitment that I'm going to follow Him and serve Him all the days of my life, that I'm not going to go my way, I'm going to go His way. If you're here today and you can say, Pastor, that's me. I've asked Christ into my heart, but I've not really been following Him. I've not really been really serving him. I've been trying to get him to serve me and follow me. If that's you, and today you want to make that turn, just like the prodigal did, I'm returning to the governance and the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. If that's you today, I sense there's some men here today who I'm talking right to you. And let me tell you, the biggest thing a man could do to, would, be, would be to say, I'm going to man up today and say, I'm not really serving and following him. I'm just trying to get him to bless my mess. Listen, today he wants to bless you. He'll fix your mess, but you've got to give your life to him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're man, woman, child, or teenager, if you're here today, you say, I know Jesus lives in my heart, but I've, I've got to today make a commitment to begin to follow him like I never have before. Lift your hand wherever you might be and say, that's me, Pastor. All over this room, people's hands are going up. You know what we're going to do today? You can put your hand back down. You know what, today, I'm going to be the Baptist pastor from the Red Oak Baptist Church today. And as we sing a simple song that our worship team will lead us in, I'm going to ask every person, listen, every person who lifted their hand, some of you lifted your hands and said, I've never been born again. As soon as we begin to sing, don't, don't wait, don't procrastinate, get out of the aisle and come this way. And if you that lifted your hands and said, I know I'm not really following him, but I want to follow him. I want him to be the Lord and the leader of my life. I want to know that I know I'm on his path. You lifted your hand and even if you did not for either one of these, but you know you need to be here. As soon as we sing, I want you to get out of the aisle and come. Don't wait, don't procrastinate. We're going to gather here together just like they did there in Acts. And we're going to invite you to be born again and begin to let Jesus transform your life. Let's do that today. Michael, just lead us in a simple chorus. You come on right now. Come on right now as they sing. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I have to stop. I'm right on Michael. I've decided to follow Jesus. God bless you.
like the prodigal son to come to yourself and not just say, I ought to get up and go, but I'm going to get up and go. Let's sing it one more time. If that's you, just make your way quickly. We're about to pray. I have to say to turn and to follow through with my commitment today. 